Well, hello and happy Thursday uh, from the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Uh, we are bringing you the top seven episodes of 2022, and we've made it to Thursday. And being that it's Thursday, we have a, another special announcement. Pastor Adam. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's tonight. It's our big meetup of the year. We can't wait to join you. Uh, and so what we're asking for is make some time this evening. We're starting at 8.30 p.m. on East Coast time, and we are going to be doing a live online meetup. And so the link is in the show notes. We want to ask everybody who's hearing this, you are invited. Uh, whether you are a premium subscriber or not, uh, we want to hear from you. So we're going to have some big questions tonight that we want to ask you. We want to hear back from you. We want to hear what you think is working, uh, what we can improve on. We want to hear testimonies that uh, how God has uh, used this podcast to encourage you and help you and change you. Uh, we want to hear suggestions and comments about uh, the next coming season. Season six is on its way in just a few short weeks. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great time. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to catch up. We're going to see each other online. So we want to ask you to please join us. It's going to be a fun time. Again, that's tonight, starting at eight thirty p.m. Uh, East Coast time. So Dave, today is Thursday, which means we're going to be listening to our top PC Thursday. Pastor Campbell, yes. what is the sermon that got more listens than any other? Well, it was released October 20th of this year, so it's only been out for a short amount of time, uh, relatively, um, but has a whole lot of downloads. Um, now, the sermon was actually preached in 2014, and it's called Culture of Discipleship. Oh, if you haven't heard this one, this is a must-listen. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think everything by Pastor Campbell is a <laughs> must-listen. But uh, uh, yeah, Culture of Discipleship by uh, Pastor Campbell. Uh, on this PC Thursday, and we can't wait to see you tonight. Praise the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Amen. <laughs> I believe it too. Amen. Um, it's a great privilege tonight uh, to be able to preach to you. Wonderful Bible conference. We had a fantastic leadership. Uh, just prior to this, it's the only leadership I can ever remember that ended in applause. Uh, Kevin Foley uh, preached to us actually on the Holy Ghost and I thought he was gonna leave us right there and rapture out of the whole uh, assembly, but it's just wonderful to be with you tonight. Um, Matthew chapter 28. And I heard an interview on the radio uh, just um, a few days ago with Reggie Miller. And um, he was a, a great NBA player, Indiana Pacers. And they were asking him about his years of guarding Michael Jordan. And he said, I pushed, I grabbed, I checked, I held, I bumped. And he said, that was legal. He said, today, MJ would average probably 45 or 50 points a game because they've removed that. But what caught my attention, and I kind of paraphrase because this was on the radio, he said the Chicago Bulls had a culture. He said, of course, there was Michael Jordan, and he was critical, and Phil Jackson, and then he, uh, you know, he mentioned um, uh, some other dynamics, Scottie Pippen. But he said there was a culture in the locker room that we heard about. 
in practice, he said their practices were as intense as any playoff game. There was a culture and a chemistry that caused every player on the team to become better. They would practice after practice. They would work on their game all summer long. <clears throat> and he said the culture was contagious and caused average players to win championships year after year. I want to minister tonight on the culture of discipleship. I want to read very uh, familiar verse of scripture, one vision, verse, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus is making this incredible statement, not just then, but to you and I this evening. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Father, tonight we come by the blood, we come by the Holy Ghost. God, I pray that you would peel away flesh, God, and diversions, distractions, God, that multiply in this generation. God, I pray, give us revelation. God, give us disciples. God, give us churches and pastors. This is their passion and heart. Speak to us tonight. God, help us capture this generation for your name and the nations of the earth for your glory. I thank you tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Culture of discipleship. I want to speak to you first that it's a culture of the heart. Pastor, this is inescapable. Discipleship is a heart issue. What I mean by that, it's far deeper than just methods and mechanics. You can parrot fellowship terminology. You can preach a professional sermon and still never make a disciple. Because it's far more and deeper than a sermon. Discipleship, pastor, this is who you are. This is your vision, your passion. This is your burden. This is what moves you. This is your life. This is the essence of who you are in the living God and the call of God as Jesus declared in this text, Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, I want you to commit these to faithful men. This word commit, I want you to deposit this. I want you to transmit this. I want you to deliver this is an impartation. It's a transference of heart and spirit. Proverbs, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart will flow the issues of life. Let me ask you, Pastor, is this in your heart? Because you cannot deposit something that's not in you into another. Again, this is who you are. It's the fiber of your soul and ministry. It's not just something you do. 
It's who you are. It consumes you, the discipling of men for the ministry, for the call of God, for the nations. I don't care if you're a pioneer in a church and you got 10 people or you have 100 people. This is something that burns in your soul. Every man who comes through the door, you're in a restaurant, you see a man, you're pumping gas in your you see a man, and something in you uh, ignites, uh, could this man be a disciple? Could he be a preacher? Could he be a missionary? What do I mean by discipleship as a culture of the heart? This word culture is an interesting word, um, and it actually originated from the word to cultivate um, or the tilling of the land. And it had the thought of the ingredients, the chemicals of the soil. It had the thought of rain and sun, sowing, tilling, plowing, cultivating, fertilizing, harvesting. In other words, the culture determined what would grow there. Is this the overriding desire of your heart, pastor, to raise up men? Is there a culture of your heart where they can grow? They can walk through the door broken, massive problems, failed in life, carrying all kinds of addictions and sins and been torn and rejected and failed and yet there's something in your heart um, that has the ability in your presence and in your words and in your prayer and in your example, there is a culture that this common individual, something sparks in their soul and they begin to pursue the living God and his purpose. It affects every decision you make. It affects your conduct, your behavior, your words. It'll make you get up and pray when you're sick or when you want to sleep. It affects your money and how you disperse church funds and your own. It'll cause you to go on outreach and keep standards up. You refuse to cancel church because of a holiday or want to always shift things around. You'll make any sacrifice to see them excel and develop and shape them for destiny. You'll sacrifice your own church to launch men, ministries in your church, finances in your church, uh, people who are fruitful. Uh, you will make any sacrifice of ministry You'll sacrifice your own security, your own ego for them to fulfill the call of God. Their destiny is more important to you than any building, any equipment, any money, any time off, any personal pleasures or pursuits. This overwhelms your heart and spirit. You breathe discipleship. It's a demonstration of a lifestyle that inspires men to the call of God. Hobby pastors, this term Pastor Mitchell I've heard him use, will never make disciples that will turn the world upside down. 
Discipleship is an impartation of heart and life. You can't be this brittle, plastic, Teflon pastor and make disciples. They have to know you love them. You believe in them when they don't even believe in themselves. You value their opinions, their very lives, their loyalty. There's such this deep appreciation. They're why you live. And this stirs them beyond themselves. It lights a fire in their soul to the ends of the earth and regions beyond. You must invest in them. Again, your time, your money, your words. And above all, you refuse to allow betrayals or failures or rebellions or religious church splits to corrupt this culture of your heart. I know what it's like. One man especially, I remember when he, he got saved, I married him and his wife. I was there when their child, Jewel, was born in the hospital. They, they, I had such uh, hope and aspiration. In 1990, I had to return to the U.S. I put the church in their hands. And I was like, years later, the church grew and probably 300 people or so, buildings, equipments, and he ripped off a huge part of that. But you cannot allow that to corrupt uh, the heart and the commission. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. You cannot allow the, the failures to cause you to compromise who and what we are that has made us and brought us to this place in time with God. Paul writes to Timothy. He said, my beloved son, the son I love so much. Pastor, is that in your heart? Also, there's a culture of the congregation or the church. I know as a pastor that you have incredible responsibility. I have responsibility to make disciples. But there's a culture in a congregation that's just as critical. That congregation needs a vision. It has to have a passion, a willingness to demonstrate sacrifice, commitment, a willingness to hold standards. Their example is very critical to the development from a convert to a disciple. We have a lot of men come in the church. They look at me. I, have, I, I can't identify with them in any way anymore. Used to, maybe I thought I could. They look at me, and um, um, I'm old, I'm bald-headed, uh, and I wear glasses, I'm, I'm, everything's sagging. <laughs> and uh, they look at me, and normally, they, but they'll pick out men in the church, and they'll begin to gravitate to those men. And they'll begin to look at those men in the church and or if they're married their wives will begin to look at other disciples wives and they'll say oh that's what pastor's preaching about 
That's a disciple, that's a convert. And they hear in the, in the rhetoric of the congregation uh, as they cross-pollinate, they hear these words about our vision and our fellowship. And we have some, I saw a couple of new converts wandering around here trying to find a place to sit tonight, probably the first time they've ever been to Prescott. They, they hear about Prescott Conference and they see it demonstrated uh, Fasting and prayer, street preaching, all of these things in the congregation. I came back to Chandler in 1990, and the entire culture of that congregation had been altered by a pastor. He ended up leaving the fellowship. When I left, you could not get in the prayer room. You literally could not get in the prayer room. I mean, we were in there. I mean, I came back, one person was in the prayer room. I remember we, we have a Christmas banquet every year. We have it, had it this year. It's a great time. We have skits and plays and, and dramas and music. And I'll get up at the end. There's people saved every year. Our church is in the Valley of Tim. We had a wonderful time this year. I came back and I, I looked on the church bulletin board. This is 19. And they got photographs of church kids in Playgirl or I guess it's Playboy, Playboy uh, uh, dressed like, like little whores. And I thought, God, we're in trouble. This pastor preached a sermon, Jesus was a rich man. I still got the tape. So it was Amway and Avon and everybody's gonna be a millionaire. No one wanted to be a disciple. I remember calling Pastor Mitchell and I said, I'm not gonna babysit these people rest of my life. At that time, the talk was of Africa. I said, I can go to Africa. <laughs> Amen. And I was ready. Because I understood that in that culture, I could not make disciples because it was spiritual. And I asked him, and he said, go for it. I'll back you up. I said, praise the Lord. We lost over 100 people in a year. Every time I would preach on the fellowship or the vision or laying down your life or I would mention Pastor Mitchell or the Prescott Church there was this nasty intimidating assaulting spirit that would come at me one time this is the truth I was preaching and I had to throw up in the sermon and I ran off the platform the bathroom was there threw up right in the middle of my sermon I told Connie later these people are literally making me sick <laughs> I felt like I was back in the assemblies of God. It's like every service was this deadly dance with this demonic, religious, intimidating spirit. It was a culture of words and mindsets and attitudes and compromise that despised vision and who we are and what had brought us this far. It's amazing, Abraham, Lot's been taken captive by five armies. Genesis 14, 14, now when Abraham heard that his brother Lot was taken captive, he armed his 318 servants who were born in his own house and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Think of this, here's 318 servants born in his house. You've got to have converts 
They were armed and trained. There was a culture and a chemistry in Abraham's house. There was no doubt in my mind this culture of risk and adventure and faith and valor. This was a, a like this hidden spiritual dynamic that causes men to excel and lay down their lives and risk everything. Matthew eleven twelve from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Pastor, what's the culture of your congregation? It's a term, culture test. It has to do again with farming. And they'll come out and they'll take these plugs of soil and what they're testing, and sometimes they'll have to bring lime or fertilizer, various things, because the culture is not right, the soil is not right, it's not conducive, and they understand there's certain, uh, you can't grow corn there or soybeans or etc. And that's not just true in the natural, that's true in your congregation. Do you ever take a cultural test of the congregation? David with his 400 men. How in the world did this happen? 1 Samuel 22, 2. All those who were in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontent gathered themselves and he became a captain over them and they're noted as these mighty men of valor. It's the same with Abraham. These 318 conquered five armies. Here is David with 400 men. Uh, this word valor uh, is, a, is a very potent word. Uh, men of strength and resolve, valiant to power. Uh, Acts 15, 26, men who have hazarded or risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, it's many times hundreds if not thousands of little things that create the culture of your congregation. And part of that culture is there has to be male leadership. Leadership in the Bible is male. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the prophets. It's the disciples. Uh, Jesus raised up men. Uh, it's at the Last Supper. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pastor, if your wife runs your church, you won't have disciples. You'll have eunuchs. <laughs> Had a man tell me, said the pastor's wife was correcting me and she said, I'll never launch you. <laughs> Heard a song leader say, the pastor's wife dominates and dictates the song service. Another place, the pastor was leading the service. He's making announcements and all of that for the coming service. And his wife's standing in the back and she's rolling her eyes and she's... Uh... The disciples are watching her. I'm sitting on the platform. They're watching me. She's correcting him. One pastor, his wife... I heard was doing all the counseling and they asked him, why is your wife doing all the counseling? His response, she's a lot better at it than I am. <laughs> and it may be true. 
But listen, listen to me, lady. You may be smarter than him, but at least let him think he's the leader, okay? Come on. Publicly, you can't do that. Leader, some time ago, had to be removed, and I'd, I'd observed this man for years. He had personality, had charisma. He was intelligent. But I used to watch his wife when I would go there, and she was like the queen bee in the church. And all these young males would be, they were craving her approval. What was interesting in his conferences, he would launch men, but never or rarely were they, were they his own. Because you, male leadership is critical if you're going to raise up disciples. Heard one, he says, we respect our pastor, but we fear his wife. <laughs> Ladies, you're not called to pastor that church. So chill out, quit it. <laughs> Amen. The Bible has a name when you do that. It's called Jezebel. Revelations 2.20. Why do you let that Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess mislead, my dear servants? This is a message translation. Into a cross-denying, self-indulgent religion. I gave her a choice to change her ways, but she has no intention of giving up her career in the God business. Can't do that. Because it creates a culture of dominant women. You've heard me tell the story. I took an Assembly of God church. The former pastor was a woman. Amen. It's the truth. I didn't have no more sense. First church I ever pastored. I got all kinds of revelation. Still one leg shorter than the other. <laughs> but I, women ran everything. And you know me. It wasn't, and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't as graceful then as I am now. <clears throat> I told the story, I think, one time I was taking an offering, and she played the piano. The, this, this woman stayed in the church for a while and played the piano. She resigned. She's an older lady, and God love her. You know, she's no doubt in eternity now. But I'm taking an offering, and she's playing this old hymn. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall. I want to just walk over and say, stop that. <laughs> And uh, she didn't last too long, and uh, her little Jezebels went with her. I didn't want you ladies to feel rejected tonight, amen? <laughs> I haven't forgotten you. There has to also in the church be a culture of ministry. Disciples are made in the involvement of ministry. I'm talking about the nuts and bolts of ministry. We have a Saturday night scene, are extreme. They're preaching, there's altar calls, there's bands, there's dramas. Uh, they're praying with people, there's outreaches for it. They take an offering, uh, uh, there's organization, there's all of these dynamics, there's follow-up. They're working with people. They're involved in ministry. And this is critical to disciples, it gives them an opportunity to develop and find calling and taste destiny. I hear men, as I many conferences give reports, 
And these reports are event-orientated, sometimes entertainment. And I'm not against events. We have all kinds of events. Very soon, we're going to have our Black History play. We do Native American Cinco de Mayo. We do a lot of things. But listen, events don't make disciples. You can have events, but if that's all you have, they don't make disciples. Disciples are made in the weekly, in the daily, the constant grind, the heat and the pressure. That's where you test their fruitfulness, their resolve. This shapes their character. Look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. These, these widows are being neglected and evidently there's an uproar about the daily distribution. Acts 6.3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and we'll appoint over this business. They're going to wait tables and serve food. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Well, have you heard a report at conference? A guy come up, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I waited on 65 widows this week. <laughs> Wasn't, it wasn't an event. My understanding, it was, it was, it was weekly, perhaps daily. And, and I understand there's more, but listen, what I'm, what I'm talking about, look at the word of God. It says, then, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. If we're not careful, events alone produce performers. It's in this daily accountability. It's in the task and the involvement of ministry and people and lives in, in Bible studies and outreaches and street preaching and the Saturday night scene and, and, and guerrilla teams and all of these. This is what, it gives them a taste of. Gives them an opportunity to stand up and, and pray. And they're carrying this every week. It's not just a, a one-up or a few times a year. There's something in the grind of that. When you pastor, it's not all events. Amen. It's, it's every week coming up with sermons. It's counseling people. It's being on outreach. It's praying. It's all of these nuts and bolts and they need to get a taste and understand. I'm not afraid of men's failures. Amen. Gotta launch people. If you don't launch them, they'll go sour on you and cause you headaches. Amen. I love it when men fail. It gives me a great opportunity for my next point. Amen. The culture of correction. Amen. There has to be a culture in the church of correction. I laugh in Chandler. Every conference, all the old door directors and a few other people, they all, they all get together and have breakfast one morning. They never invite me. And uh, they whine and cry and reminisce how I abused them and I think they, they, they all, I can't even remember it. Stacy Dillard's there and, and, and James and Tori and Josh and Adam, I mean, et cetera. And they got this whole mob in there. And, and I call them the wounded warrior self-pity party. <laughs> Bob Alvarez, he pastors in Clarksville, Tennessee, pioneered numerous churches. He gave me a plaque a few years ago 
And this from a statement when he was there in Chandler in 1985. Uh, and... Uh, he made this plaque and gave it to me. I've had it in my office for years and I told him this. My God, my God, Alvarez, you've got to think. <laughs> but look what he put across the top. Great moments in Christian history. <laughs> in other words, there's this culture. It's like, it's like to be corrected by pastor is a medal of honor. It's like I have value. I'm worthy to be corrected. He must see something in my future. This is critical in a congregation. It's the mark of love and value. Pastor Campbell loves me. I hear guys, they come out of my office. I'm just in there talking. We're having a big time. They go to somebody and say, oh, you just got your butt tore off, did you? And they say, yeah. And then, no such thing. Amen. Come on. But what happens in that these new disciples and converts, these men come from the streets. They've never been corrected in their whole life. This creates a culture where, hey, this isn't something bad. It's called spiritual circumcision. Joshua 5.4, this is the reason. Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. In other words, um, every new generation has to have flesh cut. That comes by correction. Let me ask you, disciple, will you allow your pastor to deal with issues that are personal and private? Will you allow him to cut and correct things that are painful, private and personal? That has to be a part of the culture. I've said for years, um, uh, you never, one, you never know what's in a man or a woman until you correct them. And number two, uh, you never know who they are. I can't disciple, but they can pastor disciple. I say, okay, can I correct you? And I'm not talking about, you know, the older I get, the less I enjoy it. But I still, I, it's a wonderful thing. Amen. I've never said like Jesus to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't think I've ever said that. I told Pastor Alvarez he needs to think, but, but listen, that has to be. Do you have that culture in your congregation? Praise the Lord. Let me close with the culture of the disciple, the man, the individual. There's a term in the poker world, I'm all in. You ever seen Texas Hold'em or if you've ever played any poker? There's a time in the card game. You may have played for days in, in high-stakes professional poker. Um, they'll leave their chips. They go have a meal, go take a shower, uh, go to a movie with their wife, come back. It can go on and on. And I, I consulted uh, Pastor Lewis Oliver concerning some of this. He was a professional player. And he says, you can play, and it's just mechanical. He said, it's almost boring. You're just playing, 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 playing for days. And then it comes to that all-in moment where you take all of your chips on one hand, this is one hand, and you push everything into the middle of the table. It's all or nothing. Let me ask you, disciple, are you all in for God? Because there's these God moments, these paradigm shifts in the spirit world and in your own soul.
where you go all in for God. This is the difference between us changing the world or becoming like the world. Lewis Oliver said in the professional poker world, we had a statement. You'll never be successful at a poker unless you're willing to go all in. I believe that's also true with God. It's Peter in the storm. We've already heard about this. Lord, bid me come. And he steps out of the boat. It's Paul, his blind obedience. He's been struck and he's blind, lying there in the road of Damascus. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? I'm all in. It's Abraham. Abraham, take now your only son Isaac, whom you love it, to a place I will show you, and offer him there. Abraham went all in. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew young men, when the whole world is bowing down to these gods of gold at the sound of the music. And they said, listen, O Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to know. Our God is well able to deliver us, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. We're all in for God. And I could go on and on. It's empty in yourself so you can be full of Him. All in is when it's no longer about you, but it's all about Him. It's Luke 14, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, that man cannot be my disciple. It's Luke 9, 24, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When you go all in, now it's not about what you want to do. It's about what he wants you to do. And listen, this doesn't happen every day. But there's times in your walk with God that God will show up in a God moment. You say, are you all in? One of the tragics is the rich young ruler. All of these qualities. Jesus said to this man, okay. Sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Same call and commission he'd give to the others. This man wouldn't go all in. And he walked away sorrowful. It's Demas. Demas, you know, you know, Paul must have saw incredible potential in Demas. He's brought him on this missionary journey. Here's Demas, no doubt. Uh, he has expectations for him. He's got qualities and ability. But somewhere he said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Elijah. He walks by Elisha and he casts the mantle on him. The Bible says Elisha's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he's plowing with the twelfth. This is his inheritance. This is his identity. This is his security, family, life. This is an all-in moment for Elisha. He knows the mantle hits him. Here he is. This, this huge enterprise Twelve separate yoke plowing. And what God's saying is, will you go all in? And that's what God's saying to you tonight, disciple. Will you go all in? There's some conversation. But Elisha in 1 Kings 19, 21, he slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, 
followed Elijah and became his servant. If you don't burn the past, many times, that's what, that's what going all in is. It's all or nothing. If you don't burn the past, you'll be incredibly tempted to return to it. What do you need to burn in this conference? But you'll never go back. When Elisha went all in, his destiny wasn't written yet in his life. At this point, there was no double portion. There was no dead boy raised to life. There was no axe heads floating. No Shumanite woman that's going to build him a room and I could go on and on. None of that had happened yet. You know, you can play it safe. You can live in the meadow of comfort and security. But you might be forfeiting 28 miracles. Double Elijah's. Destiny hides behind these all-in moments. And one of the dynamics of conference is God is faithful. He passes by. He convicts and he challenges. Will you go all in? Maybe you've done it in the past. Will you do it again, Pastor? Disciple, will you go all in for God? No reserves, no regrets, no retreats. All in. All in. I was talking, Pastor Roman, so appreciate Pastor Roman Gutierrez. And um, I was at prayer, and he stopped and talked to me, I think it was this morning. And um, he, I asked him, how old are you getting to be? I think he said um, um, about 40, a little over 40. I said, that's how old I was when I first went to Chandler. I said, I was 46 when I went to Malaysia, first time. He kind of looked at me. Those were all in moments. And I dare say I wouldn't be here if I'd have played it safe. Culture of discipleship has to do with you, pastor, has to do with the congregation, and it has to do with the individual and your wife. I ask you to bow your head with me. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe. 
because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.